Open your Bibles to Exodus 16, and we'll learn about the manna. I love the fact that we went through that YouTube of the whole video of the whole area and, and the map and all of that. So hopefully that's in your mind. You picture where they left Egypt and went down to the, the Aqaba finger of the Red Sea, if you would, and crossed over uh, into Saudi Arabia and, uh, and marching through down through the valleys and, and, and all. And it's, it's just really great, I think. But as they journeyed across the Red Sea and they're walking along the way, they had made it remember to Elam. And there, in that place, remember there was a bunch of 12 wells and 70 palm trees. Remember that? And uh, they really enjoyed that place after being challenged uh, with the water there. And then from Elam, they, they left that very comfortable, wonderful place with the 12 wells and 70 palm trees, which I can't imagine it really being that helpful when you've got between two and three million people. But it was refreshing. I guess if you're in the desert, even one tree is great, right? Even one well is great. And, uh, and so they went from Elam, and the whole congregation of Israel came to the wilderness of S-I-N, Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So just to give you a little idea on how to pronounce things, pretty much a lot of languages, they, they use the, the vowel sounds of the Spanish which is of the Latin, which is of the Portuguese, which is a lot of languages. So an E actually has an A sound, and an I has an E sound, typically, not always, but typically. So if you go right now in Blue Letter Bible and say, how do you pronounce Elam? It'll actually say Elim. So the E has an A sound, and the I has an E sound, Elim. And then if you say, how do you pronounce S-I-N, it's actually seen is the way they pronounce it. And somehow the, the area of seen is connected to Sinai um, or Sinai, Sinai, actually it is I pronounced as I after an A, so Sinai. Um, we don't know what it means. It doesn't mean what the English word sin means, okay? So sometimes people say, oh, I see the double entendre there. Do you guys see that? They were in the valley of sin. Ah. No, it's just, it's a coincidence in the English. It just so happens uh, the name of that place is also the name of, a, of something we can do in the English sin. Um, but they're not in any way connected. It's just the name. If you've been around the world, you, you've seen that happen many, many times where I, almost every language I've been to, they have just some very common word and it's a cuss word in English, you know, and they're using it all over the place, you know, and, and you're cringing and going, ah, you know, I, I can tell you some stories, I won't. But um, anyway, they, they went from Elam into the wilderness of Sin, and then from there, they came to a place that we know very, very well, right? 
Mount Sinai. Now, it tells us it was on the 15th day of the second month. Do you remember when they left Egypt? Remember, the Passover started on the 14th. Remember, there's evening and morning the first day. So at the end of the 14th day, they had Passover. But as soon as it got dark, it was the 15th, right? Which began the day of unleavened bread. So really, the 14th was the Passover. The 15th started unleavened bread till the 21st. So it's exactly a month. They exactly a month, around 30 days, since they left Egypt on that Passover night and to make it all the way to Mount Sinai. Now, if you do the math, remember they left with the leaven still in the dough. So they had some bread and they had some animals. And, and as they just realized they, they, they need help in this wilderness, I don't think they've run out of food yet and they're starving to death yet, but I think they are realizing there is nothing out here. <laughs> the only food we are going to have is the stuff we brought from Egypt, which is getting moldy or getting old or it's running out. And we've been, you know, eating less and less as the days are going by. And now it doesn't matter how little we eat. Uh, very soon, we are going to be out of food. So this is what it wants you to know. It's been about 30 days and um, notice in verse 2 and 3 now. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained or murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So they're both letting Moses and Aaron know what they think about them and their leadership and this, this little trick for the last 30 days. They're not happy. And uh, it's not the first time, right? <laughs> They've been unhappy before. And they're going to be unhappy again. But the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And Moses is thinking, yes, that would have been much better than this. Now, when he sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you has brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So their complaint was, man, if God had just killed us in Egypt, we would have been so much better off. Now you think of all the things God had done to this point. I mean, almost a year, miracle after miracle protected them. These things that happened to the Egyptians didn't happen to them. And they, they went through such amazing moments of going to that Red Sea and seeing the enemy destroy. I mean, it's just a phenomenal experience. You think they would still be riding high on the Red Sea experience, but yet they're, they're complaining. And we're going to discover later on, it's going to plainly tell us, Moses was the humblest man on earth. So we can't always picture exactly what's going on. But Moses was not this A-type personality guy as he was when he was 40. He was a very meek person. So he wasn't going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. 
He wasn't defending himself and arguing with them. And their, their, their stories are, are just getting outrageous. Oh, man, when we were in Egypt, we used to sit around these giant pots of meat. And we ate to our full. I don't know if that ever happened even one day. I mean, this is just a complete exaggeration and lie. It's hard to imagine that the slaves got any amount of meat that would have been satisfying to them. When you go through the world today, that's one thing you see very, very quickly in the economic structure. The poorer you are, the less meat you eat. And that's just a fact. And the richer you are, the more meat you eat. And they were poor (laughs) slaves in Egypt. But yet, in their minds, we sat around this pot and we ate to our full. We just gorged ourselves. And now we're out here and we've been starving to death. And we realize now that you and Moses, this was your wicked plan. You guys talked us into this, manipulated us into getting out here because the whole time your plan was to kill us all with hunger. You want to see us all die of hunger. Weren't they just singing last chapter? (laughs) Weren't they singing and dancing and, you know, they were hugging Moses and Aaron and dancing with them and Miriam's out there with the tambourine and they're, they're having such a good time. And I mean, we're talking within days later, it's like, you guys, God should have killed us off, and you guys are evil. You're wicked. You're monstrous. You're demonic. You're, this was the whole plan the whole time, is you and Aaron really hate us. And it wasn't enough for us to die as slaves in Egypt. It wouldn't be enough for us to be killed by the Egyptians. You wanted a more sadistic way to kill us off. You're demonic, Moses and Aaron. You're, 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 you're just full of, of wicked thoughts of wanting to kill us off with hunger. That's, that's more fitting with the hatred you have towards us. Let's just, let's just mark it a minute. That when you have that grumbling, murmuring heart, that really is you're opening the door to a demonic world, right? Do you remember Ephesians 4? It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger lest you give opportunity. Like the New American Standard, it says, a foothold for Satan. And this is what we're going to see. Every time they, they are murmuring deeply like this, they're always murmuring, murmuring to some degree because they don't have faith. But when they really get into this deep murmuring, like here and also number 16, when they're Korah and Dathan, they're all, that it gets really demonic. It gets really ugly. And they start getting convinced of pretty wicked things. Remember in number 16, they start complaining against Moses and Aaron and saying, saying you're, you're, make, you're getting rich off of us. You're, you're acting like a king ruling over us with like tyrants. 
And all of these, and Moses is like, I've never so much have taken one donkey from you guys. I've, t- I've taken nothing. I've never lorded it over you guys, ever, not even one day. But yet in their minds, and it says that these leaders, Dathan and Korah, which happened to be the nephews of Aaron and Moses, got the entire congregation against them. And you're just like, how can, how can you do that? It's, there's a power in, in murmuring and complaining. And this is why we, we read in Philippians, I think it was last Sunday, or Sunday that, that if you don't murmur and complain, or you, you appear as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so we, we see such evil thoughts happening and understand it's the opposite of the truth, right? Does Aaron and Moses want them to die in the wilderness? Was it God's plan to kill them off and he's just waiting to do it in the most sadistic way possible? Of course not. Verse four and five now. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And I will be on, it'll be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So we should have let God kill us in Egypt. You're out here and want us to die in starvation. And, and I'm sure Moses and Aaron are getting upset at this. And God said, okay, here's what I have to say about it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to rain bread out of heaven. And Is it the loving kindness and tender mercies of God that lead us to repentance? I mean, look at this. There's no anger. There's no God saying, you know, well, I'm going to punish you. Well, shut that murmuring mouth first, and I might consider getting you something, you know. They're talking all of this evil and all of this complaining. And, man, it's just you want to come back at them and go, do you remember the Red Sea? (laughs) Do you remember all the plagues? you remember how many throwing your babies in the Nile and killing them? Do you guys remember Boy, there's a, there's a really good argument. But God just says, yeah, I'm going to rain bread out of heaven. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, he actually calls it that, bread from heaven when they hungered. In Psalm 78, 24, the same thing. He rained down manna for them to eat and given them the bread of heaven. This was not just physical food, was it? It was a type of food that was spiritual. It was not of a material of this earth. It was a heavenly material that has never been on earth before and will probably never be on earth again. But God gave them a special food. In Psalms 105, verse 40, the same thing. The people asked, and he brought quail. (laughs) The psalmist is so gracious here, isn't he? I mean, we're going to read about this in Numbers 11 when they murmured and complained. And he satisfied them with bread from heaven. In Psalm 78, 25, he actually says, Men ate angels' food, and they sent them food to their fool. 
He sent them the food right off the angel's plate in heaven. And so he said, you guys are going to have a certain quota every day. And this whole process of gathering this heavenly food, it's all going to be a test. It's a simple test. But if you have a willing heart, it's simple. If you don't have a willing heart, it's, it's incredibly hard. You know, my kids, you know, when they were, you'd go, okay, go clean your room. And, and uh, you'd go in there and nothing's done or it's even worse. And then like, hey, can I go to so-and-so? Ah, once your room's clean. And oh, they get in there and they just throw everything under the bed. And you hear things being kicked and slammed. And you go in there and everything's out of the floor, but it's just all crammed under the bed or whatever. And you pull it out and you're going, no, this is not going to work. And, and then, like I, I've said before, I just say, I'll do it for you. But you just got to sit there and watch me. And it takes me all of a minute and a half put their dirty clothes in the bin and put a couple things away in the drawers and it's over. But yet this process took four hours. It literally would have taken a minute and a half, but because they were unwilling, it was almost an impossible feat in the same way. We've looked at this verse many times in Deuteronomy 8.3. So he went, sent them through the wilderness to humble you. This is all a part of God's plan. To allow you to hunger, fed you manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We, we know about manna, don't we? Manna, Jesus points out, was really him. It was really a picture of the Messiah. That's the whole point. And, and when it came time, remember Jesus fed the multitude there in John 6, and, and, uh, and they're like, well, that was, that was a fine meal, but it wasn't as good as Moses. Moses fed us for 40 years. And Jesus said, Moses didn't feed you squat. Moses watched and ate it like you did. My father gave you that manna. And now the father gives you the real eternal manna. And if you were, will eat this manna, you'll never hunger again. If you'll drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Oh, what do you mean? Well, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Oh, I freaked out and left, you know. But when you think about it, it is a simple process. But yet, to this day, will men do it? (laughs) They had to rise early in the morning before the sun started getting hot. They had to gather the manna, which is just right outside their tent. Wouldn't like they had to go 10 miles. They had to get enough and they had to measure it. It had to be the right amount for each person and their family. And there was... Any way they wanted to fix it. They could eat it raw, they could bake it, they could boil it, they, they could do almost anything with it, and it tasted great. But they had to eat it, didn't they? And this is what Jesus said to Satan when Satan was trying to put pressure on Jesus. He's just like, absolutely not. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was the whole point here. It's like them fellowshipping with Jesus. Jesus is exactly what he did. In Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5, Jesus speaking about when he would be on earth, it said, And he, the Father, awakened me morning by morning. I quickened my ear to hear as a learner, the Greek substitution says disciple, that I would get a word for the weary to know how to sustain the weary throughout the day. So Jesus got up and gathered the bread from his Father. And he took that bread and he ate it, and then he was able to satisfy others with it. In the same way, it's so simple, isn't it? Just to get up and, and, and to meditate on God's word. Eat up Jesus. <laughs> Fellowshipping, eating with Jesus, eating from Jesus, eating from the word for today that proceeds from the mouth the rhema word of God, and, and now to meditate on it and chew on it and to share it throughout the day. Eat it, eat it all day long. So simple. How many Christians do it? <laughs> I had a friend call me today and ask me, he goes, do you think the church is apostate? And I'm like, dude, it's like the most obvious thing. <laughs> you know, Germany, it's basically there's no religion there in that country. If there is any religion, it's a Muslim religion. Christianity is virtually completely gone. They don't even remember it used to be in the country. Go ask a German where Martin Luther's from. I have no idea. It's like, well, it's from Germany. You go to England today. About a month and a half ago, it, there's more Muslims now. UK is now a Muslim country, according to statistics, where that was a hotbed. Germany was a hotbed throughout the world, and England was a hotbed at Christianity throughout the world. Now you look at the stats. America, that was the hotbed of Christianity, is gone. Where is the hotbed of Christianity today in the world? It's nowhere. <laughs> and then you look at the percentage of people going to church in America. It's dropping off quickly. I mean, we're talking another 10 years. Um, a country that, that in the 1960s, okay, 50 years ago, what was it, 74% of everybody in the country went to church on a Sunday morning? Where I grew up in Central California, it was 99% of everybody went to church. I mean, nobody didn't go to church. To today, I mean, in another 10 years, it's, it's going to be like England, less than 1%. Or, you know, churches are closing down all over the place in America it's, it's insane. We're, we're in the kingdom of a plethora of churches here in the OC. <laughs> we're the Disneyland of churches. But even here, people are quickly. Now then you look at the statistics of what people who do go to church every Sunday actually believe. They don't believe in Adam and Eve. They don't believe in a flood. They, they believe homosexuality is not a sin. They believe it's, it's crazy. It's apostate. But yet, I know within my lifetime, if you were to go and ask people in the church, do you seek God every day? Do you seek him in the word? Do you ask for his guidance? Do you, do you meditate in the word day and night? People, people would be honest, no, they don't. It just doesn't happen. 
their Bible sits in the same place on their coffee table till Sunday, and then they pick it up. And so, as simple as that is, it is a test of, of our hearts, of willingness to just go outside the tent, gather up the manna, prepare it, eat it, munch on it all day long. It's a simple test. Well, verse 6 is through 8 now. So Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. So this evening you're going to know God has brought you out of Egypt. In the morning when you wake up, you're going to see the glory of the Lord and know God heard your murmuring. But what we, then he goes on to say, but what are we that you complained against us? And Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening and in the morning to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So he, he's like, who do you think we are? Look at me. I'm just old guy who is just a shepherd. I, I'm not some great king. I'm not an emperor. I'm not some guy with an army to protect me. I'm just, I'm just a little old man. Aaron's my older brother. He was a slave right next to you. He's no prince. I'm, you're complaining against us like we brought you out of Egypt, like we brought you into the land, like we talked to the Egyptians into giving you all the gold and silver. And No, your complaint, even though you're saying it's against us, it's not. It's against the Lord. Isn't that the truth? You know, you get some teenage kid complaining against their parents. And it's really, do you, do you think that God gave you your parents? <laughs> do you think your parents love you? Do you think your parents have done the best they can for you? You're, you're not complaining to your, about your parents. You're complaining to God for giving you those parents. You're complaining to God about the gift of what he offered you. Your complaint is not against your parents, it's against the Lord. The same way against your boss or against your neighbor. Isn't it God that's arranged things the way they are? And isn't it against the Lord that you're dissatisfied? And it's not because you're dissatisfied with the actual person or situation. It's really, there's a dissatisfaction in your own soul? And how is God going to answer that dissatisfaction in your soul? He's going to show you his glory. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to call fire to heaven against you. He's not going to spank you. He's just going to show you just a plethora of meat in the evening. And you're going to gather these quail and you're going to be eating all the meat to the full that you never did in Egypt, by the way. <laughs> but you are going to do it tomorrow. You're going to do it tonight. Tonight you will have more meat than you can eat in your pots. 
And after eating all of this quell all night, you're going to wake up in the morning hungry again. And you're going to eat the best thing you've ever tasted in your entire life. You want it to be like a noodle, you can boil it. <laughs> if you want it to be crisp, like, a, like a, a, a donut or something, you can make it that way. You want to make it hard like a cracker, you can make it that way. You can, you can cook it and it'll, 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 be a, it'll be a pliable in any form you want it to be, to, to eat whatever it is that you're thinking and craving, the texture and the type, it will bend to that thing. You know, the word glory is the word kabod. And in the Hebrew, it is, means weightiness or substance. You know, like the difference between a, a metal ball and a ball of cotton candy. <laughs> if they're the same you got a ball of cotton candy and you got a, a ball of metal. Well, the, the metal ball is kabod, right? And the ball of cotton candy is Ichabod. Later, we're going to see in 1 Samuel 4, there's a guy named Ichabod. And of course, there's a famous story about Ichabod Crane, <laughs> right? That, that squirrely uh, school teacher who um, it's sort of that Halloween type story, but it, it's, uh, it's interesting, but Ichabod. And so um, God's glory, the weightiness, the substance of God's presence, they're looking at this cloud, but they have no idea the weightiness of the presence of God that's there. They see the pillar of fire by night, but they don't get it. They don't understand God's presence is so powerfully with him. They would just look at that pillar of fire and go, God, we're hungry. You brought us here. You got us here. You're not going to let us down. You didn't bring us this far to let us down. Provide for us. If they had understood this glory of God in their presence, but they, they did not. Just a, a quick note on the, the glory of God. You know, it, as we're going to see here, it, it's in a cloud. And um, you, you've heard of the Shekinah glory of God. It's, it's funny, that's one thing doing the To Every Man Answer I did. You get people asking questions that really scratch your head. But it's like, where is the Shekinah glory in the Bible? Here's the answer. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's actually only in the Jewish writings of the Mishnah and the Talmud and um, the Midrash. They, they use that term, Shekinah. But it is a word that's exactly right on. It's that right there, the glory, the, uh, the kabod of God in the cloud form. And uh, this is uh, what we see, for example, um, later... We're going to see this in Exodus 40, verse 3 and 4, where it says, And the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because of the cloud that rested above it, and the glory of the Lord uh, filled the tabernacle. 
And then later in number 16, when they were fighting against Moses and Aaron, the glory of the Lord appeared. In 1 Kings, the house, was, the house of God, the temple was filled again with the, the cloud of God's presence, that Shekinah glory of the Lord, and the priest could not enter in because of that. And then in the New Testament with Jesus in Matthew 15, 5, the, out of the cloud, the Father spoke, and this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Well, looking here now at verses 9 through 12. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, saying to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. So as we, we look at this, it's, gonna, it's hard to know what's happening. But it appears that Moses is speaking the words of God, as if God were speaking. Remember he said earlier, Moses, you'll be as God and Aaron will be as the prophet. Since you're one willing to be the prophet, Aaron will be the prophet. But now your role is going to be as if you're, you're representing me. So Moses is talking to Aaron the prophet, go tell the people. And here's the word from the people. So at one point it looks like Moses is telling the people, but really it's Moses through Aaron is telling the people. So Aaron's probably telling the heads of the homes, and the heads of the homes are spreading it out through the multitudes. Well, in verse 10, Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, there it is, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints, the murmuring of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it, it, it appears that God's speaking this stuff to Moses and Aaron, and they're communicating it with certain leaders. And so they all know, they all know this. But then there seems to be an official announcement. And they already know the information. <laughs> the morning paper came out. But now we're watching the news and we're hearing it right from the president himself. So, you know, whether it, so they, they see that God's speaking to Moses. Now, whether they understand God and what he's saying to Moses or not, we don't know. But, but as God is telling Moses officially what God already told Moses and Moses told the people, now in this official announcement, they realize God's speaking it to Moses, to us. But they're observing God's presence in this announcement. So they've been complaining, saying horrible things to Moses and Aaron. And Aaron and Moses come back going, you're, you may think you're, you're being rude and mean and hateful and horrible to us, but it's really God. Now, here's what God says about this. <laughs> you're going to have more meat than you know what to do with, and you're going to know God's amongst you this evening. And tomorrow morning, you're going to see the glory of God as he gives you actual food, not from this earth, but from heaven. And so then there's this official speaking, um, uh, the same words that have already been given to them. And then in verse 13 and 14, so it was 
that the quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And the morning dew lay all around the camp. And when the layers of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. In number seven, describing this, it says, now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bedlam, which can be clear or a pearly color. And then in verse eight of Numbers 11, and the people went out about and gathered it, ground it in millstones or beat it in fine mortar, cooked it in pans, made cakes of it, and it tasted like the taste of a pastry prepared with oil. And, um, and then in verse 9 of Numbers 11 there, let me find that for you. It says, And the dew fell on the camp in the night, and the manna fell on it. So when you put all of these verses together, here's what, a, here's what we gather. First the dew came, and there was a heavy water cover. And on the water came this seed, coriander. It would be like sesame seed that you find on hot dog buns or hamburger buns or on bread, the, the little sesame seed. It was like a bunch of seeds, but it was all clumped up together on the dew. And then more dew came on top of the manna, making it wettish. And it was evidently sort of hovering above the ground or bushes or whatever, I don't know. And they could just easily scrape it, gather it together. I'm thinking almost like cotton candy out of the cotton candy machine. It was just sort of gathered together and then they could get it uh, enough and, and, and compress it together. And, you know, uh, an omer, everybody knows what an omer is, right? <laughs> we don't know what an omer is, but... But, you know, picture a cup full, maybe. We have no idea, but about a cup full. So I'm, I'm thinking you, you gather one, you know, snowball size for each person in the family. And then as you cooked it up in very many various ways, it was enough to keep a person satisfied all day long. And... Uh, very interesting. I mean, we're going to get to heaven, then we'll know about it. Verse 15, so when the children of Israel saw, so when the children of Israel saw it, and they said to one another, what is it? <laughs> For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which came, which the Lord has given to you to eat. Now, we get down to verse 31, they, they go with that. So if you look at the word what, it's the word man in Hebrew, M-A-N. And then there's different forms of the word it. It can be also similar to that, ma or man. So it was sort of a slang word saying it or what. What? What? What is it? You know, like, yeah, it's sort of a, and that's the way it sort of sounded to them, was like man or manna or, or mama or whatever it was. And that's the slang, the way it came out, where they just used that term out of the Hebrew, sort of a slang word, uh, what is it? 
And there, that's what they named it. Um, well, verse 16 to 19. Now, this is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One homer for each person, according to the number of the persons. Let every man take for those who are in the tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. So when they measured it in homers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. But, verse 20, (laughs) never, (laughs) nowwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. So evidently, some people are like, well, I, I got a homer, but... We may not have any tomorrow. I know they said there's going to be. I, we better not eat it all. Everybody just, everybody eat half of it so we at least have some of it tomorrow. Okay, that's the way they were thinking. They, they couldn't trust the Lord that it didn't just appear one time. Now, it, it does appear that the quell didn't happen but one time that evening or maybe every once in a while, we don't know. But we're going to later see in Numbers 11, they're complaining about not having the quail, not having the meat. And, and there's a whole uh, a big thing. I'm not going to go into it. But it ends up getting very hurtful, and a lot of bitterness comes out. Uh, a lot of bitterness comes up from Moses um, towards God. And, and God has some harsh words for Moses, and Moses has harsh words from leaders, and leaders have some harsh words for Moses. It's a very difficult chapter but nevertheless, they get some quail, and they can't even wait to cook it. They just start eating it raw, and, and they, a disease breaks out amongst them. But nevertheless, they're, they're like, okay, we, we had the great uh, quail last night. We had some manna, but I, I, I don't know if there's going to be any of this tomorrow, so don't eat it all. But when that, they didn't eat it all, some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. So now they're going day after day. The first day, they, some people didn't, they, they didn't eat it all like they were supposed to. It, it was left over and it was grotesque. Worms and smell and, oh, they couldn't get that smell out of the tent and couldn't get the smell off their hands and they buried it and they could still smell it. It was just disgusting. And so they realize, okay, saving it is not going to work. And so several days goes by. Now in verse 22 to 30. So it was now on the sixth day, new instruction coming, they didn't see coming. He said they gathered twice as much bread, two homers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them that this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. And they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath, and the Lord today will not find it for you will not find it in the field. Now six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now verse 27 here. And so it happened. Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses, 
How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So the Lord said this to Moses, but Moses was to go tell this to the people, right? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Duh. Let every man remain in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. It, it seems to me like there was a heated moment here. That now they're out on the seventh day going, there's no manna, I told you it wouldn't be any manna. And, you know, I told you yesterday to gather twice as much. Well, we couldn't do that. That stuff doesn't keep overnight. We did that on the first day and it stunk and had worms. I wasn't going to do that on the sixth day. It wouldn't have worked because it didn't work the other day. Why would it work today? Because today's the sixth day. It'll work on the sixth day, but it won't work on the first day. Are you kidding me? No. Well, why would it work on the sixth day, but it wouldn't work on the first day? Because this is the command of the Lord. Well, what are we to eat? Everybody go back to your tent and don't come out. Period. Rest. Take a nap. Just don't come out of the tent. And they all stayed in their tent and rested. <laughs> so again, you, you, you think that these guys for 400 years have been in paganism. So it's hard for them to imagine. And now all of a sudden, by the way, in the beginning when God created, he created a special day of rest. So on the sixth day, you're going to have twice as much. You're going to go outside and you're going to see a lot more manna than you've seen the other day. This is because you're to gather twice as much. And that way you can have a day of rest. Well, verse 31 to 36. So the house of Israel called its name manna. What is it? And it was like white coriander seed and it tasted like a wafer made with honey. Sounds pretty good to me. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that you may see the bread which I have fed you in the wilderness Then I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So God says, take a sample of this bread and set it aside, put it into a pot or into a jar and, and save it. So in verse 33, Moses said to Aaron, take a pot Put an omer of manna in it. And, and again, for you ex-hippies out there, God didn't say take pot. He said take a pot and put an omer of manna in it. Lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to the inhabitant land. And they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And now the omer is one-tenth of an Ephra. If you weren't sure, now you, you got it laid out. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, it says, Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid, with all sides with gold, and which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So later we're going to see the ark built, and the lid of the ark was to be taken off from time to time, and eventually three things would be inside there. One would be a special golden 
jar. Eventually they built it out of gold that had some manna in it that I guess would last. So maybe we all get a little sample when we get, when we get the millennial reign. And then also were the actual tablets of, uh, that God wrote the Ten Commandments. And then Aaron's rod, later we'll see it bud when there's a, uh, a thing. So all three, there's those three items inside the Ark of the Covenant to this day. But the very first thing that was to be set aside to eventually be put in there once it was built was that. But again, we know that God, all of these things, Romans 15 said, it wasn't really about them. It was for us to learn at the end of the age. The revelation is us. Really, it's Jesus. You know, we don't have a religion, do we? People all the time, oh, those Christians and their religion, we have to stop them and say, look, we don't have a religion. If you get to know us, if you come to church, but unfortunately, a lot of churches end up looking like a religion again. We end up getting in that human realm and we, and we have to fight it. We got to shake it up and go, hold it. We got to quit being religious here. How, how did we get into that rut? We got to shake things up. And but the whole point is being with Jesus. But isn't it crazy? Well, I'm a Christian. Oh, what did God speak to you today through the word? I don't read the Bible till Sunday. You know, hold it. How, how, can you, how can you be living as a Christian then? Man shall not live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's a day by day thing. Each and every day. And once the sun starts coming out, it all melts away. You're to have it collected and then it, it stays fresh and you eat it throughout the day and you're full. We'll see later on that all the nutrients were in there. They never got a swollen foot or the beriberi's disease where they eat one type of food, but they have all the nutrients they need in it. In the same way, we need it. In Psalms 1, as we meditate in God's word day and night, the greatest blessing You'll prosper in all that you do. And so, again, it comes back to that. Jesus said, the Father gave them manna, but really it was insignificant compared to the manna, the manna, that the Father is giving to you here now. You guys right now in Jerusalem, you guys right now in Israel where the Romans are ruling over us and and we're in a very difficult time as a nation and the whole world is being controlled by this wicked Roman empire. Right now, this world that Jesus was talking to at that time says, you are getting the manna and you need to eat that manna up. You need to drink it down. That's where life is gonna come in that. Well, any thoughts tonight before we wrap this up and spend a couple minutes in prayer?